This episode comes from the Glasgow Film Festival 2024, where we caught the UK premiere of Love Lies Bleeding from St Maud director Rose Glass. Here's Rose on her film, which stars Kristen Stewart. She was in my mind as like the sort of fat dream fantasy casting for the role of Lou from like the very beginning of writing it. Obviously didn't know if she'd do it or not. And then met her when we were sort of starting to try and get financing and stuff in place. And yeah, fortunately, she really liked St Maud. And then she and she was up for doing it, which was great. She just felt like a really obvious natural choice to me for this role, to be honest. Like she even said, like, um, you know, sometimes as an actor, you get sent scripts and you're a bit like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. And then she was like, yeah, then I read your script and was like, well, who the fuck else are you going to get to play this role? I also speak to festival director Alison Gardner and filmmakers Farah Nabulsi and Lucy Cohen in today's Girls on Film. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Hello from Glasgow Film Festival, where I'm joined by Oscar-nominated director Farah Nabulsi, who's showing her film The Teacher here, as well as Edge of Summer director Lucy Cohen. Alison Gardner gives me the lowdown on the festival, now in its 20th year, and I'm joined by Rose Glass, the wonderful director and co-writer of the hotly anticipated film Love Lies Bleeding, a bold, pulpy thriller starring Kristen Stewart and Katie M. O'Brien as lovers in a rundown criminal town. It opened the Glasgow Film Festival this year. First, here's the director of Glasgow Film Festival, Alison Gardner. Alison, welcome back to Girls on Film. Thank you. It's, it's lovely lo to be here. It's lovely to have you. Always lovely. And it's so lovely to be in sunny Glasgow today. Yes, listeners, it is sunny today. Um, how's the festival going? Great day one under our belt. So going into day two, it's just so nice to see people queuing outside GFT for the free film this morning. Ticket sales are buoyant. And I'm really happy with the breadth of the programme. So I think that there really is something for everyone. And this is obviously one that lots of people can come to. You don't have to be industry, right? Anyone can rock up and get a ticket? Yeah, anyone can rock up. Give us your money. We always take your money. We're a not-for-profit making educational charity, so it's always brilliant to have your money. But yes, we, we, we have Cinema for All as our motto at Glasgow Film, and we extend that to the film festival. We do have an industry side, which is very buoyant, but it really is that sort of mixture of industry and audiences that makes Glasgow Film Festival, I think, one of the more unique festivals in the UK. Yeah, I like that about it. It's got a lovely community sense and lovely feel. Um, and last night, of course, we had the opening film Love Lies Bleeding. We're speaking to Rose Glass on the podcast today. And she was here with her previous film, St Maud, is that right? She was, yes, in 2020. Um, obviously, one of the last film festivals before uh, the world went wrong. But um, she was great. She was a really nice guest. She had a really great time. So when this opportunity came up, she really pulled out all the stops to be here for um, the opening gala last night. And why do you feel this film was right to open this year's festival? I think we are really championing emerging talent. 43% of our films out with the sort of retrospectives and special strands are from first or second time directors. I think that's quite a high percentage for a festival. Um, and so for me, we're really looking at those voices and how we can champion them. And 
we like a bit of edge at Glasgow. <laughs> you know, we're not shy. So do we're we not here shy. at Girls on Film. Excellent. <laughs> and the film is edgy, but the film is really great. And I just knew that young cinephilic audience that we have been developing over the last 20 years would really buy into it. And you're pretty hot on championing women, which is one of the reasons we're here. Do you want to talk to me about this year's programme with that in mind? Yeah, I mean, we, we I, I, I don't know if I've said this before, but I'm not a great believer in quotas. Mm -hmm. I find that that's disingenuous to the filmmakers. So what we try and do is look deeper for great films by women. So that, you know, do a little bit more digging, see where the, the, the filmmakers are. So when we're doing the Czech um, season, Czech, please, because we love a good pun. You know, we thought, what's the classic Czech film direct Daisies? You know, so that's our go-to film. You know, so why not put that in the programme? Because lots of audiences will not have had the opportunity to see it. So really just trying to make sure that we dig a little bit deeper, look harder for films that are directed by women and then put them in um, prominent spots, opening gala. Last year we had a Dura on a Shields Girl. So I think just making sure that you give them the correct profile enhances it because then the films are good and people don't really then think, oh, it's filmed by a woman. What they're seeing is they love the film and that's the way to generate it. Also, I think it's at production's end that needs to do the harder work rather than at the exhibition end, which is Glasgow Film Theatre or Glasgow Film Festival, we can make sure that we're doing our bit, and we and we obviously are, but what we really need to do is get everybody in an ecosystem that champions women all the time, not a tick box exercise, not something that we just do to help funders. What we really do is we genuinely believe in it, and that's what I think we have at Glasgow Film that's different, perhaps. I really just want to get great films by women in my programme. Anything else you'd highlight for this year for our listeners? Let me see. There's so many. There's 126 films. I mean, not not about not by women. But it really, they don't have to be. But I really loved Lousy Carter. Uh huh. Um, I think it's a really great film because I love toxic masculinity getting a good kicking. <laughs> um, I really love the Teachers Lounge as well, and Origin, which I think has been under. Fetid, if that's such a word. Yeah, Ava DuVernay's film. Ava DuVernay's yes, film. Yeah, I think really people really film. haven't really caught on to it, but I really liked it. I was very um, lucky to see it in Venice Film Festival. And I just thought, this is absolutely brilliant. If you look closely, you'll find something tragic was happening. Are you interested in writing something for us? I don't do assignments anymore. Yeah, but you're a better writer than most people do anything. Have you heard the tapes? No. Uh, of what? I want to be in the story. Really inside the story. And build a thesis that shows how all of this is linked. I mean, and also Leading Love with um, Ewan McGregor and his daughter Clara is in that. And it's directed by Emma Westenberg. She says, thinking carefully. Um, and that is also really good because the process I think that they used for that was Ewan and Clara brought their own relationship a little bit to it and then worked with the director because it's a father and daughter. And while it was scripted and had a particular story and it's not their story, they were able to use those loving moments and fractious moments and father and daughter things that go on. So that I think is really interesting as well. 
And I'm very privileged to be here hosting an In Conversation event with Viggo Mortensen on Sunday. So thank you for having me for that. Do you want to talk a little bit about his film? Yeah, I mean, it's. Um, I think it's a feminist Western, to be honest. I really liked it. It's, it looks gorgeous. Yeah. And Vicky Creeps is so perfect in that role. I cannot, it's one of those roles that you can't imagine anybody else because she's got that real tough frontier face, you know, in it. You know, she is a beautiful woman, but in this, she's really not dowdy. She's just got that, I would not mess with this woman face in it, you know, and the, the costumes and the beautiful settings, you know, sort of are the opposite of the harshness of what happens. I don't want to give any spoilers away, but certainly it's a film everybody should go and see and it will be released in the UK. So uh, for me, um, I think it's one of the highlights of the films and it's also an audience award film as well. I think, what is it, six out of the eight or five out of the eight are directed by women in our audience award. Oh, that's fantastic. So this is The Dead Don't Hurt. The, the Dead Don't Hurt, one. Yeah. yeah. So don't forget to catch that if you're coming up here. Um, anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with? Um, I think that, that there's something for everyone in the programme and we're really lucky to to have the interesting strands that have been curated by my fellow programmers, Tamiwa, Natasha, Rosie. So what will the men wear, for example, is a sort of queer look through Philadelphia story and Morocco and Queen Christina. So looking at taking a different lens on those films. And that's why I love working with such great young programmers. To me was done um, Love is Sweet O, for example. So Happy Together. It's always a great opportunity to see that in Cinema One. Just looks so sumptuous. And then also films that she really loved as a youngster, like Love Jones, which is a film that you never see in the cinema. So I think those opportunities to see that, and we, though those strands are... 650 for all tickets in a way to try and encourage people to come along and see them so I'm just delighted that they've had the opportunity and we as a international second largest film festival in the UK are giving them the profile to show their exhibition chops if you like well well done on that and well done on your 20th year Amazing. <laughs> <coughs> yes, uh, 20 years. Um, I have been at every single one uh, of those well um, years. We always got two other anniversaries. It's the 85th anniversary of the building opening in 1939. And somebody did ask me, a young journalist did ask me if I was there. <laughs> and I was like, I think it was a bit of naivety rather than... Oh, bless. So. Well, they weren't thinking it through, I think. No, I don't think Clearly they were thinking not. it through. And then 1974 <laughs> is 50 years since GFT was constituted. And it looks like we've done this alignment out of some grand plan. No, I'm afraid it's just serendipitous. It's pretty cool though, huh? It is pretty yeah. cool. 85 years. And I think it just shows that cultural cinema is alive and thriving in Glasgow. And that, for me, is the, the key message. Well, thank you for having us. We're having a great time. Maybe see you next year. Thank that you, That would Alison. be great. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. That was the director of Glasgow Film Festival, Alison Gardner. Next up, we're talking about Love Lies Bleeding with director Rose Glass, who co-wrote the film with Veronika Tofilska. Hey. So where did you appear from? Oklahoma. I've never been anywhere but here. What were you doing with that big girl? This here's Jackie. Hi. She needs a job. Says she'll do anything. Yeah, you like guns? Not really. What the fuck are you doing here then?
Welcome back to Girls on Film. Thank you. It's lovely to have you back. As you know, huge fans of St. Maud. And I have now seen Love Lies Bleeding and I can report that I absolutely love it. Oh, thank Congratulations. you. Congratulations. Glad you enjoyed it. It's a wild trip and it's bold. And I found it really exciting in lots of ways in terms of the things we talk about on Girls on Film. So kind of pushing boundaries and doing things a bit differently when it comes to representation and gender and queerness on screen. So thank you for that. My pleasure. And for the <laughs> listeners that haven't seen it yet would you mind just setting it up for them yes so love lies bleeding it's a tale that's set in the kind of late 80s in america um in a sort of weird nowhere town somewhere in the southwest and it's a love story between these two seemingly sort of polar opposite women uh one of them is jackie she's an aspiring bodybuilder kind of hitchhiking her way through the town on her way to a big competition in vegas and the other woman is lou who works in a gym but sort of just sitting on her ass behind the desk basically and she's sort of trying and failing to quit smoking and her life's kind of stuck in a rut and anyway so they they meet and fall really hard and fast for each other and very quickly lots of things um, start to go very, very wrong. You talked to your dad recently? Why? Give us a call. A lot of things happen in this film. I tell you what, I was at the edge of my seat and it's also one that I found very unpredictable in a really enjoyable way. I also love that you, when you're talking about the meeting, can you talk to me a little bit? Because that's early in the film, so it's not too much of a spoiler. Like they do setting, meet, yes. Yeah, setting up that kind of the meeting and how you framed that and shot it. I'd be really interested to know I think, about that. Um, yeah, because the first, it happens quite early on. The first time Lou sees Jackie is when Lou's at work in the gym behind the sort of reception desk and she just sees Jackie across the gym. I think that was like one of the first scenes that I wrote with Veronica, who I, Veronica Tafilska, who I co-wrote the script with, that was one of the first things we had in place. And I was, I was kind, to be honest, I was kind of thinking of that scene in The Mask where Jim Carrey sees Cameron Diaz across the bank, which is maybe not the most um, sophisticated reference, but that was, I don't know, I just wanted it to be this moment where it's, you know, it's suddenly very heightened, the reality, sound of reality sort of vanishes and we're with Lou just transfixed by the sight of this amazing... Woman. Well, I like that you mentioned the mask actually because I know obviously that there are a lot of kind of ways that you reference other films in this, but also turn them on their heads. And what, what I felt watching that was like, okay, you're seeing that scene which is normally through a male gaze, yeah, and it's very much not in this yeah. instance. I want to ask you a bit more about that actually, but also first, um, when you and your co-writer actually came to this idea and and how you started collaborating. We, me and Vera knew each other for, for quite a few years before that. Originally, we'd actually gone to film school together. She's a writer-director as well. So we were just really close friends anyway. And we, and she, you know, was reading all the drafts of St. Maud and giving, giving me notes and, and all that kind of thing. And I knew I wanted to co-write this one because, you know, it's amazing how St. Maud turned out and that it went down well. But, but writing it, I found pretty stressful and quite sort of isolating and not, not the most enjoyable part of the process at all. So I think this time I was really keen to try something a bit different and try co-writing, which I hadn't done before. So I came to Vera with like a really embryonic sort of something about a bodybuilder who's training for a competition and sort of kind of going off the rails and it being a sort of pressure cooker kind of situation but I didn't really have much else so we kind of just you know locked ourselves in a room for, for many months 
just sort of brainstorming this thing and it just kind of spiraled out and we were just yeah it, it was a really enjoyable process we we're just trying to make each other laugh trying to surprise each other and yeah a few years later it turned into this story somehow. Well the film is surprising and funny in lots of ways but let's talk about the casting briefly because I know obviously Kristen Stewart just it seems so perfect for her yeah. at what point did she come on board and did you collaborate with her in developing the character even further? She was in my mind as like the sort of fat dream fantasy casting for the role of Lou from like the very beginning of writing it obviously didn't know if she'd do it or not and then met her when we were sort of starting to try and get financing and stuff in place and yeah fortunately she really liked St Maud and then she and she was up for doing it which was great she, she just felt like a really obvious natural choice to me for this role to be honest like she even said like um you know sometimes as an actor you get sent scripts and you're a bit like oh I don't know if I can do this and then she was like yeah then I read your script and was like well who the fuck else are you going to get to play this role which kind <laughs> of makes sense I think when you see it um she's just a very natural fit for it she kind of gets I just like the idea of getting her to play a sort of like moody heartthrob to be honest yes um, yeah she's like a sort of I guess it kind of plays with some sort of thriller noir sort of tropes and I guess if anything she ended up being this kind of morally ambiguous anti-hero who's like haunted by her past and smokes too many cigarettes and I think it's something she had a lot of fun with. So the kind of role that might in the 80s or 90s or even noughties be given to a man rather than a Maybe, woman. but yeah, through the, through the eyes of a, of a neurotic, neurotic woman. Yeah. I love how grubby this film is as well, if you don't mind me saying. It's very visceral. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and, and, and it's also sexy. And I just loved that combination because I feel that yeah. we've been fed images of sex men who's supposed to be very clean and, you know, yeah. safe. Whereas this is all, yeah. Yeah, I think sort of texturally there were, there were a lot of things going into it. I think I had a clear idea of the sort of textures I wanted to be in it before a lot of the rest of the world building. So yeah, sweaty, grimy, a bit grubby, a bit sexy, <laughs> lots of sweat. Yeah. 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 And I, and I think that's, that really is a bold move and sets it apart. I know you, the, when people sit down to write things they don't go well, I want to do this differently I want to break tradition but like looking back is there anything you're proud of that you feel that's kind of bucked a few you know tired old trends? I don't know I mean honestly when, when we were actually writing this I've never kind of setting out thinking oh, I would like to upend this kind of trope or whatever. I mean we'd always make a joke about the fact in the beginning that I guess you could argue it's about sort of upending kind of strong female character kind of tropes just well but just in the sense of taking it incredibly literally yes <laughs> but no we just tried to just sort of always be led by what would be the most interesting iteration of these particular characters and story I mean I feel like now that it's finished and I've maybe got a bit more perspective on it I feel like these two women are sort of like characters that I hadn't really seen in films very much and I feel like probably particularly like as a teenager and growing up and stuff it would have been really cool to have seen a bit more of that so I guess I'm pleased about that I feel like hopefully it resonates with people I think so I, th I think you should be pleased I think I'd have loved to have seen that when I was young and the male characters are very interestingly cast can we yeah. <laughs> talk about that and also I mean the mullets can I just say in this film is spectacular apparently Ed's haircut is called a skullet skullet yeah okay the, thank you for educating the, the me bald, the bald on top um yeah, a lot of fantastic hair. And the yeah, the, the we sort of realised all the guys in the film are sort of pretty terrible people. But to be honest, all the women do pretty terrible things as well. I guess we sort of didn't want to let anybody get off too lightly. But I kind of didn't... Because the, the main male characters, I guess it's... um Yeah, it's Ed Harris's character, Lou Senior, Lou's dad, um, who is like the local... You find out he's like a kind of local crime boss who's as a front for his criminal enterprise, he also runs this shooting range, which Jackie ends up getting a job at as like a waitress. And one of his other employees is JJ, who's played by Dave Franco. And so he's like the brother-in-law of Kristen's character. 
So it all kind of descends into this weird, like, knotty kind of family melodrama. Lou has all these kind of feuds with the two of them, but she's never quite had the balls to actually, like, do anything about it until Jackie appears. Because they both do pretty terrible things, like JJ's beating up his wife, who's Kristen's sister in the film. You know, these are not characters you sort of necessarily want people to be rooting for, but I guess I didn't want to just make them the most obvious version of it. So I guess that's kind of why... I don't know, Dave Franco, I don't think you put as like an obvious choice, casting choice as like a wife beater. And he's really, he's very funny and quite sort of disarming and sweet. And so I guess that just seemed sort of more interesting and maybe just a bit truer or just the idea that, you know, it's not always going to be the most obvious person. You can't just tell sort of by looking at someone what people are sort of capable of. And, and then similarly with Ed, you know, he's kind of playing the sort of evil patriarch of the family, but I didn't want him to be too conservatively macho, I guess. Because you sort of find out later on in the film that um, him and that Lou, Kristen's character, used to kind of be a lot more sort of under his spell and kind of they're also they're almost like a little kind of twosome. He needed to be somebody that you could imagine Kristen's character looking up to when she was younger. So that's why we sort of went for he's kind of a bit there's something a bit freaky about <laughs> about Ed's character in this, but in a kind of I don't know, you could sort of imagine teenage Lou being like, Yeah, my dad's so cool. Yeah. Um, totally. So maybe that led to the mullet. Although the weird thing with the mullet is that he came, Ed came up with that. The skullet. He, the skullet, yeah, sorry. Um, he got these extensions put in and sent me a picture. I was like, this looks amazing. And then sent the picture to Kristen and she freaked out because then it turns out her dad at one point had pretty much exactly the same hairdo, <laughs> which was very strange. So it was all meant to be. So when you and your co-writer were sitting down and talking about genre and tone, um, without spoilers, yeah. were you in agreement always about where to go because this takes some interesting turns and plays with a few kinds of different yeah. tone in terms of well yeah because things get quite um this film sort of like flirts with the fantastical i think throughout it and then maybe consummates it at the end the, the very end stuff non-spoilers uh we did go back and forth on quite a bit on sort of how real world how heightened um and this this just felt like the most natural culmination i think i always i mean i think just naturally i'm always looking for any opportunity to get some kind of like um, weird body stuff in there because it's just, I guess it's just what I find the most fun and interesting. And bodybuilding and some of the muscles all kind of like seem to lean into that quite naturally. But yeah, it definitely sort of escalated as we were writing it. And I think we only got to that really heightened sort of place quite late on in development. And it was like, okay, I think a very nervous moment of being like, I think this will work. <laughs> they found a body. Looks like you've got your hands full. We'll just need to fight back. I'm gonna tell them everything you ever did. FBI, open up. Are you threatening me? Yep. Is there anything you wanted to talk about in terms of the relationship between the, the central relationship and the two actresses who came together and did such an amazing job? How were they kind of matched together? How, what sort of rehearsal process did you have? We barely had any rehearsal time, to be honest. I mean, we. You know, we cast Kristen relatively early on, like before yeah. official prep and stuff. And then, you know, we started looking for whoever was going to play Jackie months in advance, but we just couldn't find anyone. It was getting a bit nerve wracking, to be honest. We only found Katie like a few weeks before we started wow. shooting, um, which was a big relief. And so aside from that initial reading that she did with Kristen, we didn't have any rehearsal time, really. We then got all got out to Albuquerque where we filmed it. And I think the three of us maybe sat and read through the script together and sort of talked about, made sure we were all on the same page in terms of what's happening in each scene. But in terms of like actually rehearsing, we just sort of had to do it on the day, like scene by scene. So the chemistry is just, uh, just sort of happened, I guess. I guess you sort of hope that if you make the right casting decisions and if you've written it right, and then, you know, these two give incredible performances, 
you just sort of have to pray that there's then some magical spark between them. There certainly was. There was, I think. Yes. Yeah, it was It yeah. was really exciting to see, you know, because obviously at the end of each shooting day, I'm kind of like nervously watching back through all the footage. So you sort of just see it starting to emerge as you're, as you're shooting it, um, which is obviously incredibly fragmented. So yeah, you just see these little glimmers. And it was a big relief. <laughs> Did you have an intimacy coordinator? Yeah, yeah. I think we ended, I think we ended up having like two or three because they we because obviously each of those scenes are shot on different days and so it was a different person for each scene. I think, um, which which I, I don't think I had when we did Saint Maud. I think it's sort of it was. I think it's sort of like just since then that it's become like a sort of automatic thing that, that everyone does. And I was a little bit nervous at first just because I hadn't worked with one before of the feeling of like oh will it feel like someone else is kind of taking over the directing or anything? But no, it was. Um, I really enjoyed working with them, and I think I think Kristen and Katie, I'm sure they'd agree. It was, it just makes the whole process just kind of easier and more comfortable for everyone. Kind of the same as if you'd have a stunt coordinator. It's just we approach the scenes the same way to how I'd have approached any other scenes in the past. But you know, I guess just having a sort of third party there takes the pressure off a little bit. But you know, it's always the same. You know, try and be very specific in how you write scenes and describing all the little movements and stuff, and then you know you block it out very unsexily. Uh, you know, fully clothed and everything, just literally to go through that. It's quite sort of mechanical. It's like choreography, really. So no, those, those scenes were fun. And it's, you know, that was always going to be an important part of the story. You know, it's a romance. It's like the beginning of a relationship. Sex is an important part of that. Kind of like with all the violence in the film, sex and violence, I knew would be, would both play an important part. I'd like to ask a little bit more about the, the filming process. How long did you actually have to make this? Because it sounds like it was all a bit close to the wire with the yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, we, we had a very decent budget, like particularly for a second film. So it's like, I'm tempering all of this with with being like you know it was we had amazing resources but <laughs> I think every film ever you're trying to just like squeeze every little thing you can out of it and so you never feel like you've got enough time it always feels like a rush the scale of this was definitely quite a bit bigger than when I did St Maud the main shoot out in in Albuquerque back in 2022 I think we shot for like six and a half weeks and then we had another five days kind of pickups halfway through the edit and yeah, it was all a bit of a rush and a scramble. And, and it was just more characters, more set pieces, the period setting, stunts, effects, like all, all the fun stuff that you absolutely want to play with. But then when you're actually doing it every now and then, you're like, oh man. Because I know when I was promoting St. Maud, a couple of times I remembered, you know, talking about what I'd learned from the process or what I was glad that I did. I remember several times being like, oh, I'm really glad that I kept it really contained with just one or two characters in a limited location. And then I just completely didn't listen to my own advice for this next one. And also just before we'd gone out there, I'd trapped a nerve in my neck and then fallen down the stairs and broken my toe. Oh my God. So I had, because I was walking off and I, I had like, I don't know, like a pinched nerve or something. Anyway, so when we first got out to America, I had like some ridiculous like boot on my foot and like a walking stick. And then because my neck was so fucked, I kind of had my arm in like a sling because I had to hold it in a particular position. So I was just like hobbling around the desert, <laughs> doing like location recce's, just like, oh, it's not, so not feeling my sharpest. Because I think when writing it, I was like, oh, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna be inspired by Jackie and get really in shape and all this. And then just was like a, sh a shell of a human throughout most of it. And I was trying to quit smoking and then didn't, and then, well, I had, and then I relapsed, you know, started smoking again while we were shooting. So I was just like, oh, um, but yeah, I got through it, it was fine. Are you still smoking? <laughs> no, I have, I have now quit. Well done. Um, and I recommend, it's an important part of, of the film. She listens to Alan Carr's Easy Way to Quit Smoking, which was written in the 80s. And I recommend anybody who's struggling with smoking or any addictions to, to check it out. I did wonder if that came from a very real place because it felt very authentic. But it's, I love that you've still been inspired by 80s, like, tapes. Yeah, and, it's, it's, um, yeah. it's fascinating because, like, the guy, 
I don't know if they would have had like the audio cassettes then, but this this guy who who wrote this book, he was a, he's like an English guy who wrote it in the 80s, who didn't have any experience in like psychology or anything like that. I think he was like an accountant or something like that. And is still and is still absolutely the number one bestseller to try and Amazing. <laughs> I did not know that, but I love the moment. There's several really interesting moments to do with smoking and cigarettes in the film, yeah. um, which there's maybe, maybe you could read some symbolism into it. Do you like talking about the symbolism of the film or do you like to leave that up to the viewer to decode? I'll let people decode it. I'm trying to think this, yeah, I guess cigarettes, guns, it all gets a bit phallic. Yeah, a little uh, bit. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Well, with this, it was more like the, I think this, the quitting smoking thing came into it more because you know, we started, obviously knew that Jackie's training for this competition and just the, the discipline and obsessiveness it takes to, to become a bodybuilder. It's, I just find it fascinating that some people are just able to do that, whereas other, others of us struggle to even just not do the thing that's obviously killing you and doesn't benefit you in any way. So, um, so I don't know, people having different relationships with willpower and self-discipline and all this kind of stuff. And as someone who probably struggles with all those things and would like to aspire to be more like Jackie, but is probably a bit more like Lou. Before I let you go, I wanted to talk a bit about, I know probably there weren't necessarily films in your mind when you were writing, but watching obviously quite a lot of films come to me, whether they're 80s set or actually filmed around that time. Is there any, any touch points you wanted to reference other than the mask, of course? I <laughs> know. <laughs> Masterpiece. I've sort of said, I think because of the whole like Americana-ness of like when and where we set this film, there's obviously just so many landmark films which have a foot in that world and which you could probably easily sort of draw parallels. Oh, it's another film with, you know, these lovers and these guns and this and that. And it's in a way because of that, I think I was actively trying to put my fingers in my ears a little bit and sort of not be thinking too much about these other films because they're so omnipresent in their influence anyway. Like, you know, I'd never, I'd, I'd never seen Thelma and Louise. When, oh, really? I, when we wrote it um, oh, and I sort of deliberately didn't watch it because I thought I'd get sort of self-conscious about you know and same with like true romance and natural born killers and whatever so I'd like actively avoided watching all of those <laughs> because they're so famous anyway it's sort of like an almost like omnipresent sort of influence in culture I'm sure they influence things anyway and then also Ben my cinematographer he'd never seen Bound which is another one which like obviously there's like sort of plenty of um, overlap in terms of what, what the films are about and what happens which I did love going in but again I didn't revisit it but he watched it afterwards and he was like oh we should have watched this together I was like yeah true I suggested to the actors that they may be the sort of the trio that I suggested in terms of maybe some weird Venn diagram crossover of tone of the film I was like maybe watch Showgirls Saturday Night Fever and Crash the Cronenberg one which are quite different but I guess they've kind of got a foot in reality and a foot somewhere much stranger I don't know so there are elements of all these kind of disparate sort of things in there finally how does it feel to be opening Glasgow Film Festival with your film oh wonderful it's, it's so nice because we I came here I came here once before with St Maud um, and we weren't we obviously weren't opening it then and um yeah so it's, it's, a, it's a really great crowd and it's it's yeah it's it's amazing it's, it's, so this will be our UK premiere I realized Yes, congratulations. Thank you. Thank yes, you. very exciting. Losing track of everything. Um, yeah, so no, I'm, I'm, I hope they like it. I think they will. We Fingers love it. Thank you, Rose, so much for joining Girls of So nice to see you again. You too. Thank you very thank much. Thank you. That was Rose Glass. Love Lies Bleeding opened this year's Glasgow Film Festival and it will come to UK cinemas on the 3rd of May 2024. Now, here's director Farah Nabulsi. Well, welcome to Girls on Film. Thank you for having me. 
It's lovely to have you on and congratulations on the teacher. I wanted to, before we get into that, ask you to talk a little bit more about your background as a filmmaker for our audience. Okay, so I I came into filmmaking quite late in life. Um, I don't have any formal education in filmmaking, actually. Strangely enough, I come from more of a business um, background and and that's what I studied and what I, uh, the industry I worked in for a number of years. And then it was only around eight, nine years ago when I traveled to Palestine for the first time as an adult. I'm Palestinian by blood and heritage. I was born, raised, educated in the UK and London. And I come back to what I consider my life of privilege with this sort of deep desire to sort of tell some stories about sort of the people that I'd met and I'd say the injustice and and the, the violence that I had witnessed as well. I started to write therapeutically about what I had seen and felt and heard. And then eventually I realized you know what, I think I want to tell these stories through film. I've always loved film. And so I jumped into the deep end, produced and wrote my first three short films, and then finally plucked up the courage to direct my first film as well, which is The Present, which is a short 24-minute film. And that film had an incredible, incredible journey where we we premiered at Clermont-Ferrand International Film Festival. Uh, We took home the audience award there. And then... I guess took over 50 international jury and, and audience awards across its journey, won a BAFTA and was nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's how I sort of, and then, and then thought, okay, and I'd been working on a, a sort of debut feature, if you like, story, and off the momentum of the present, managed to kind of get the teacher off the ground. And here we are with, with the first feature film that I've directed as well. What a wonderful journey and congratulations for everything you've achieved and now for this first feature. Can you explain for our listeners um, the setup of the story, please? The film is, is set and shot in what is militarily occupied, colonised Palestine. It's about a Palestinian school teacher, Basim al-Saleh, who's played by this brilliant actor, Saleh Bekri. And he, he's struggling to reconcile his, his commitment to political resistance with his emotional support for one of his most promising students, as well as the chance at a, a, a romantic relationship with a British volunteer worker, Lisa, played by the wonderful British actress Imogen Poots. Really, though, if we want to say for me what it's about, it's about the love of a, of a parent for their child and about the pursuit of justice. I find both those themes very moving in it. Um, it's, it's a very dramatic watch, isn't it? And, and, and very emotional in parts. Can you talk to me? You mentioned there how fabulous your cast are. And I think it's obviously key to a film like this that they have so much, so much presence and depth. Uh, how did you land upon those two central actors in particular? So Saleh Bekri, he actually was the lead actor that I had in the present, the film I'd mentioned a bit earlier. And so we've worked together. And it was very interesting because when I was thinking of this story, I I was in Palestine uh, visiting and I, I verbally told Saleh Bekri the story. And at the end of my sort of 20 minute, you know, <laughs> verbal diarrhea, um, he was smiling and he kind of, yeah, he nodded his head and I said, okay, so you're going to be the teacher. And he kind of, he knew and he's, yeah, he said, yeah, okay. And I said, great. So when I went off to write the, the first draft, even he, he's the actor I had in my mind. I, I knew in that sense. And, and he was already cast. It was done. And they always say that's really dangerous to do actually, but um, you know, in case things don't work out, but I just went with it. And he really does. He really does embody this, this character. So, so profoundly, so honestly. And in terms of Imogen, the screenplay was sent to her, the script was sent to her. 
And it was actually during one of my location scouts in Palestine where I ended up on a, a Zoom call with Imogen for about an hour and a half, just discussing this, the, the script, discussing the character. Um, she absolutely loved it. And she said, you know, okay, yep. And then there's, of course, Mohammed Abdurrahman, who acts the student, Adam. And he's an absolute fresh newcomer. I mean, he, he did he's end great. up... He's great, yeah. He's, he's amazing. And actually, the way I cast him, he had, he had written and directed and then starred in a short film because he'd, he, he, he'd only just got started in his career in that sense um, to showcase his talent. And interestingly enough, that short film ended up in my hands and I was blown away by his talent. And interestingly enough, he looked like a, a morph of my two teenage eldest boys who were kind of like my muse in some ways of how I envisaged Adam would look. And, uh, and then fast forward, he, he, yeah, he didn't, he didn't fall short. He was, he was amazing. I didn't catch him. He continues to elude me. It's shocking to me how many of these boys have been in detention. How do you begin to keep them on track in an environment like this? Some of them are very resilient. Others are not so much. Yakub was a good student. He came out angry. Some of them stopped seeing the point anymore. Imogen Poots' character, Lisa, feels um, like a very compassionate but also complex character, and that's something we love to look into on Girls on Film and, and celebrate. You know, she's... she's, she's very big-hearted, but she's not a stereotypical do-gooder. Um, what was important for you when writing her, especially in gender terms? Well, exactly that. I think, I think and this is part of the conversation um, Imogen and I had, where she was, she, you know, she just wanted to be sure that this character, you know, was, yes, multidimensional and had that depth and wasn't so, you know, perfect or whatever it is. For me, look, in Palestine, I've met people like Lisa. I, 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 you know what, I, I know it's a very multicultural place. And I really wanted to embody the sort of kind of individual who really does come and want to do something good and be part of something important, but also has an arc where she, and I don't want to kind of, you know, ruin the film in some ways, but she ends up kind of realizing and recognizing the sort of struggles and real life conditions of these other characters that she's kind of living amongst it, it you have to be careful because you don't want to give a sort of white savior impression and I know that some people might kind of you know um go in that direction but I've also had other people actually say you know the character of Lisa is is my inroad I I totally understood her and and that's where I could kind of connect with this story that is set in this very faraway land, half of which is in a different language, and, and, and. So it's, it's you know, characters aren't always going to, let's say, you know, certain characters aren't always going to be as appealing to everybody, but that's okay. I'm not, I'm not interested in creating characters. Everybody's like, oh yeah, this is exactly perfect and how I... Unless it's your lead, lead protagonist, and then you kind of do want everyone. <laughs> Good point. So audiences in Glasgow are getting to see this film, um, and I think it's a very special film festival, having been there a few times. How do you feel about being part of this particular fest? Oh, I'm super excited. I mean, this is our UK premiere. I think Glasgow is a very cool festival that really embraces 
diverse stories and storytellers and celebrates like all the different ways there are to tell a story through film. So um, very, very excited. And finally, what are you up to next after this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the can't say. Um, <laughs> you know, I, like, I, I am, I have been writing at the moment uh, of... Uh, a, a screenplay about identity and what one would be willing to risk to sort of achieve their dreams. But I am working on, on a screenplay and another one, actually. Well, congratulations again. Oh, thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much. much. That was Farah Nabulsi. You can see The Teacher on Monday the 4th of March at 6pm or Tuesday the 5th of March at 3.15. Here's director Lucy Cohen. Welcome to Girls on Film. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. Glad to have you. Tell me, how does it feel to be showing a film at Glasgow Film Festival? Um, it is exciting. It's nerve-wracking too, just kind of when you create anything, putting it out there in the world. And yeah, I feel thrilled. I'm stoked about Glasgow. I've heard, it's going to be my first time up there, but I've heard so much about the festival. You know, it's great to be somewhere where it's all about the audience and... I'm sure, yeah, for every film, there's going to be such a good uh, yeah, mix of people and good vibes and good energy, and it's a great city, so, yeah, all good. For the listeners who haven't seen your film yet, would you like to set it up for them and then we can get into some more detail? Yeah, sure. So Edge of Summer is a film about an 11-year-old girl and she arrives on holiday with her mum. She meets a a local boy and they make a mysterious discovery which sort of fractures their understanding of life and childhood as they know it um, unravels. Mum? Lucy, not again. Come on. I was thinking. Maybe. Please. Maybe you and Daddy could get married again. Why would we do that? Show that you love each other. Once is enough. I wasn't there. How do I know? Because we've got you, haven't we? Hmm? You're our love. It is a really fascinating film because I'm a big fan of that kind of genre. Um, congratulations, by the way. I'm a big fan of that kind of, of genre, the sort of coming of age, but also mixing it with something a little fantastical and unpredictable. Were there any films that you watched when you were younger that sort of played a part in forming these ideas? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I guess um huge fan of Ratcatcher. I uh, adored that film and just kind of really being there in that boy's world. Yeah, and Spirit of the Beehive is a, a, a real favourite film of, of mine, just like, you know, cinematic masterpiece. And uh, again, these sort of films where, you know, they're coming of age, they're about kids, but... There's something kind of for everyone that really kind of takes you back to that moment in time. I mean, one film I remember having a really kind of strong impact on my was Walkabout by Nicholas Rogue um, with Jenny Agatha, which is just, I mean, a kind of mesmerizing, haunting film and a very adult film too, in terms of kind of the feelings and emotions that I guess sort of honors the kind of complexity and of, of that moment in time as well. What's up here? We can see where we are from the top. Well, where are we now? We've just got to climb that one. But you we said... We're lost, aren't we? No, of course not. I should try and help you. I'm tired too. 
Yeah, it was very vivid for me watching it, you know, that kind of awkwardness of you're in a new place and you're expected to make friends your own age, but it's, you know, everyone's already got friendship forms and, and how do you fit into a group, you know, fancying a boy, all those things. I'm interested to go back to when you were saying it's for everyone, because I, I do think I got nostalgia out of it, but what kind of age groups were you sort of thinking of in, in terms of its appeal? I think the film's for anyone, really, wanting to be transported back to that moment in life and connect with themselves as children or even their parents. And for young people, I think so much of what Evie and Adam are going through happens in secret, and it's so often the case when you're growing up. And I think that stories where the pain and complexity of being young is really recognised and acknowledged can be really powerful and important. Yeah, I, I like the way that it, it explored that. And yeah, I think you're right. It could appeal to a very wide range. And it's the kind of thing that I would have got a lot out of if I watched it when I was quite a bit younger, I think. And I was really interested in the relationship between the mother and the daughter and the choice to show it from the daughter's perspective. And you're just kind of getting glimpses of the mother potentially having a new relationship and the assumptions made. Um, do you want to talk to me a little bit about why you were keen to explore that? Yeah, I mean, I feel that, you know, what Evie kind of goes on this journey where she starts with quite a romantic kind of fairy tale idea of love, you know, the security of her, you know, mum and dad's relationship. And what she comes to understand about love is far more complex and darker and knotty. And in a way, that's come through what she's learned from her mother too. I was interested to explore this sort of romanticization of the sad boy that I think you know girls can do sometimes when she sees Adam he's almost a fantasy of what she you know she really understands that in a in a in a visceral dark way that you know his pain is real and then makes a choice to almost carry that pain and to hold this secret which I feel she's learned from her mother uh, maybe in the way that she's behaved and it feels a particular I guess, female burden that she then holds with her. It's her kind of first baggage, you know, that she, she that she takes away with her. Were there any other particular themes that you were keen to explore with this film? In a lot of my work, I'm kind of very interested in, I guess, memory and grief and how that plays out and how we, I guess, internalise certain experiences too and how they manifest or triggered or come out kind of later in life and that kind of search for the truth when there isn't really any, which I feel echoes this this crossover as well, kind of the world of childhood can be quite binary and black and white and there's good and bad. And, you know, in truth, life is, is wonderful because it's so much richer than that, but that's also very scary too. And yeah, that, that sort of search for answers, you know, when, when there has been a, a trauma or something difficult to process. To go back a bit to yourself um would you like to tell us a little bit more about your own life whatever you're comfortable saying and then what led into the kind of work that you do I guess going back I've always enjoyed writing stories um growing up I wanted to be a journalist I wanted to be a sort of foreign correspondent that was my kind of grand plan but really felt when I was doing that that I I don't know how to describe it perhaps sort of thinking pictures more and so immediately went into documentaries afterwards and made documentaries for around 15 years and when my last feature documentary came out I had my first child and wanted to keep on telling stories and being creative whilst 
tending to the needs of a, a small baby as well. And so that's when the writing began and the screenwriting. And I started writing this story because I could do that in the, you know, the early hours of the morning in the scraps of time in between. And what's uh, what's next for you? I mean, in terms of do you think you'll continue with this kind of sort of the mood? I love the kind of mood of this film, the nostalgic mood, but there's clearly a lot of other stories to be told. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've got another project that I've been developing for some time sort of, uh, alongside this, which again, it's, I guess, in terms of tone, there is a similarity. It pushes things perhaps a bit further. I mean, I love a kind of blend of genre, you know, not straight drama, but where there's these sort of echoes of be it kind of supernatural or horror or thriller, because that to me just is is life and particularly when you're in the mind of someone in an intense sort of emotional state that's how it's experienced and so yeah the next project kind of pushes that world uh, a bit further very different story very different location uh, to adults um but uh yeah I'm very excited about it and this being girls on film I mean yourself do you feel as a female filmmaker that opportunities are better um for women filmmakers now I know in documentary traditionally it's it's been slightly easier for women but in terms of you know feature dramas I mean it's been I guess a fantastic year gone past or the last few years for, for you know female filmmakers and amazing debut films coming out you know, I've been so supportive, but I mean, Evie Yates at BBC Film right from the get-go has been, you know, wonderful and the, the women at the BFI. You know, I guess for me at this point, after doing a debut, I kind of think about sort of sustainability in terms of a career and making that step as well, where, you know, you've done your debut, now you're kind of competing with the big guns and there's only one pool of funding. And, you know, now I feel like this is the time when it's it's going to get tough. And I guess not just for women, but but for everyone. I mean, the you know the arts aren't perhaps kind of valued on a governmental level as they are in some other countries. Making a career which comes with risks and ups and downs, all the more tricky. It's interesting. I, I went to a, a talk on uh, art and motherhood recently at the Foundling Museum, and a woman there, you know, saying as a single mother, it's not an option you know, with childcare costs. And, you know, if I was attempting this career, you know, without a partner to help, I, I just don't think that I would be able to take that risk. And that makes me feel really sad for all these women who've got these stories to tell and these stories that we need to hear, that there's not a system to to cushion any unpredictability, really. Hear, hear. Totally agree. Um, is there anything else you want to leave the listeners who perhaps some of whom might be coming up to Glasgow and be catching your film? Well, I don't want to give too much away at all, but I hope you enjoy it, you know, be you know, transported to Cornwall, 1991, this beautiful, ephemeral, strange time when, yeah, a girl and boy move away from childhood and make their way into the adult world. Nicely put. Lucy, thank you so much for joining Girls on Film and do keep in touch with your future projects. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was Lucy Cohen. You can watch Edge of Summer on Friday the 8th of March at 8.30pm or Saturday the 9th at 3.45. Some of the other female-focused films at the festival are Luna Carmoon's Horde, Alici Rowaka's La Chimera and The Dead Don't Hurt starring Vicky Creeps. You can see the full festival programme on the Glasgow Film Festival website. Girls on Film is an HLA production brought to you by executive producer Hedda Lorney archbold producer Charlotte Matheson and thanks to our partners for this episode, Glasgow Film Festival. 
The festival runs from the 28th of February to 10th of March and will host 69 UK premieres, 11 world and international premieres and 15 Scottish premieres at venues across the city. To buy tickets, visit the Glasgow Film Festival website at glasgowfilmfest.org. Thank you for listening. We will be back soon. You don't understand. Get back in the car.